Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm? Because we live in an imperfect world, one of the things that you can count on is that you're going to be hurt. There will be accidents, there will be injuries, there will be illnesses, but the deepest hurts in life are those that come from people. Someone asked me this week, what's your greatest joy in ministry? And I said, it's people. And then they followed that with another question, well, what's your greatest pain in ministry? And I said, it's people. People bring us our greatest joys and people bring us our greatest pains. People can hurt us. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Sometimes they do it unintentionally. And sometimes we're hurt by people who are willing to resolve it and sometimes we're hurt by people who are unwilling to resolve it. And it's that latter group, that latter kind of hurt that we want to focus on this morning. Those who hurt you and have no intention of making amends. Those who hurt you and then flee back to the enemy camp. How do you resolve those kind of hurts? Well, I think sometimes we respond in the wrong way. And so let me begin by listing some things not to do when you're hurt. Number one, don't ignore it. Don't say, I don't have a problem. That didn't hurt me. That's the Clint Eastwood approach to pain. You bite the bullet. You play the macho man. You suffer in silence. I've seen a lot of children who went through the divorce of their parents respond this way. They say, well, that didn't hurt me. When the truth is, it hurts you very deeply. But somehow, we think if we pretend that it doesn't exist, that maybe it'll go away. But the truth is that ignoring that you have a hurt doesn't resolve anything. Secondly, don't postpone it. That's when you acknowledge that you've got a problem, but you pro procrastinate. You, you put off doing anything about it. You kind of sweep it under the proverbial carpet. And you say, well, one of these days, I'm going to get some marriage counseling. One of these days, I'm going to confront my husband or my parents or my boss. And we keep putting it off and putting it off because we always postpone what's unpleasant. But the problem is that postponing your hurt never heals it. People say time heals all wounds. But time doesn't heal relational wounds. Time often makes them worse. 
David tried procrastinating about his pain in Psalm 39, 2, and here was his conclusion. When I was silent and still, my sorrow grew worse. Procrastination turns minor problems into major problems. It's just like what happens with a physical wound. If you give time to a physical wound and you don't treat it, it just festers and it gets infected and it spreads. Third, don't run from it. This is the Don Knotts approach to pain. You run away. You escape. You retreat. David tried this too. Listen to what he said in Psalm 55, 6. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away to be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. You ever do that when you're hurt? Wish I could just run away and hide in the desert. Of course you have, because that's human nature. It's no accident that in public buildings, they always make the doors so they open outward. Because when people panic, what do they do? They run. And that's what we often do with our hurts. And there are a lot of ways that we try to escape. You may lose yourself in movies or television. You may try to escape through alcohol or drugs. Divorce is an escape. Some of us just pack up and go to Disney World. Do you know when, you've, when you ride all the rides and you come down, you still have the same problems. When you wake up in the morning with a hangover, you're still the same you with the same problems. So when people hurt you, don't ignore it and don't postpone it and don't run from it because running from a hurt never heals it. Fourth, don't disguise it. That's when you keep it to yourself and you don't tell anybody. You're not really ignoring it and you're not really running from it. You're just hiding it. You're masquerading it. You're camouflaging your hurt. And some of you are very good at that. You hide it under a mask. You dress nice. You wear a nice smile. And when someone asks, are you all right? You say, well, I couldn't be better. When the truth is that under that facade, you've been deeply hurt by someone. Some of you hide it through busyness. You think, if I just stay busy all the time, I'll never have the time to sit down and think about the pain. And so you hide it under a constant parade of activity. And some of you hide it through materialism. You go out and buy stuff. I'll bury this hurt at the mall. I'll shop this hurt away. It's like the lady who said, whenever I'm down in the dumps, I go out and buy a hat. A fellow looked at her hat and said, oh, so that's where you get them. 
down in the dumps. But see, when you're hurt, all the possessions in the world will not soothe that pain. Fifth, don't resent it. When someone hurts us, this is the most common response. To play it over and over in our minds and rehearse it and rehearse it and become more and more angry and cynical and bitter. And when we do that, somehow we think that we're getting back at the other person, but the irony is that resentment doesn't hurt anybody but you. There's a great verse in Job 18.4. It says, You tear yourself to pieces in your anger. Anger and resentment doesn't resolve the hurt. It just tears you up even more. Resentment allows the past to control the present. Resentment takes a one-time event and perpetuates it. And in doing so, it prolongs the pain. And eventually, if unchecked, it leads to bitterness. And bitterness is an acid that will eat you up. So when you're hurt, don't ignore it. Don't postpone it. Don't run from it. Don't disguise it. Don't resent it because none of those things work. You say, well, if none of those approaches will resolve my hurt, then what do I do? Well, David gives us the answer in Psalm 23 and verse 5. He says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now in this verse, he gives us three symbols that illustrate the three steps we need to take in order to let God heal our hurt. And if you'll notice verse 5, the scene shifts from a field to a feast. David presents to us the image of a banquet, but it's kind of a mixed metaphor because he's still kind of talking about sheep, but he's also interesting, inter, interjecting the idea of us sitting at the banquet table with the Lord. So it's a mixed metaphor. And understanding that, I want us to look at these three steps that we need to take. Step number one. Let the Lord settle the score. Look at the first phrase in verse 5. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now what's that mean? Well, you know, sheep have natural enemies, a lot of them. Wolves, coyotes, bears, snakes. And as we've said before, sheep are rather defenseless animals. They don't have big teeth. They don't have big claws. They don't have a big rack of horns. They can't kick. They can't run fast. And so the scene that David is describing here in verse 5 is very odd. The shepherd has brought his sheep to a tableland. 
a grazing area, a, a flat mesa. In fact, our English word mesa is the, from the Spanish word for table. And so he's brought them to this table land, this flat land, this grazing land, and all around the edge of the mesa are the predators. And they're looking on as the sheep are enjoying a meal. Now that's rather odd because sheep are very skittish animals. There is only one way that a sheep will lower his head and eat in the presence of his enemies. And that's if he is confident that the shepherd has him covered. And see, that's the first step that we have to take. When someone hurts us or when someone is continuing to hurt us, we need to let the shepherd settle the score. Paul made it very clear in Romans 12, 17 and 19. He said, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't try to get even. Don't seek revenge. Don't retaliate. Instead, you are to trust God to take care of it. God knows who has hurt you. And God will one day settle the score. And God will do a far better job than you ever will. You know, today, revenge is big business. And if you don't believe that, just look around at all the lawsuits that are taking place today. In fact, I found a popular book entitled A Woman's Book of Revenge. And it's filled with accounts of how women have retaliated. You can go on the Internet and find numerous websites dedicated to revenge. And they offer you all kinds of ideas on how to get even. But you know, there's one basic problem with revenge. It doesn't work. Because if you try to seek your own revenge, you will never get even. And in the process, retaliation only escalates the pain. It doesn't eliminate the pain. You see, when it comes to this subject, you need to understand something, and that is we cannot recover from a hurt as long as we're seeking revenge. You cannot recover as long as you're seeking revenge. So you have to make a decision, am I going to get even or am I going to get well? Because you can't do both. You say, well, how do I stop seeking revenge? How do I deal with this anger? How do I let the Lord settle the score? Well, you have to do two things. And they are the very same two things that Jesus did toward his enemies when he was being unjustly hurt. Number one, forgive the offender. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what was his response? 
to those who were inflicting pain and ridicule on him, he said, Father, forgive them. Now, did he wait for them to forgive or to, to uh, apologize for him to say that? No. Did he wait till they came crawling on their knees saying, We're sorry, we'll never do it again? No. They were still ridiculing him while he said, Father, forgive them. You see, this is unconditional forgiveness. And God says to you and me in Ephesians 4.32 that we are to forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You're to forgive others just the way God in Christ on the cross forgave you, and that was unconditional forgiveness. Now, don't misunderstand me. Forgiveness doesn't mean you say, it's okay that you hurt me, because it's not. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you say, it wasn't all that bad a thing, because it was that bad a thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you say, it didn't hurt, because it did hurt. Forgiveness means you say, I'm no longer holding this against you. Forgiveness means that you say, I'm doing with your sin against me what God has done with my sin against him. I'm casting it into the deepest sea. You say, well, why in the world should I do that? Well, several reasons. Number one, that sin is already paid for. Jesus paid for it on the cross. Number two, all of your sins have been forgiven. Number three, resentment is only going to make you miserable. And number four, you're going to need more forgiveness in the future. You ever think about the fact you're not finished? Needing forgiveness? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we refuse to show mercy to others, we are blocking the mercy of God toward us. You're going to need forgiveness in the future. So the first step is to forgive the offender, and then the second thing is to entrust yourself to God. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was a second thing that he did toward those who were inflicting pain on him. We read about it in 1 Peter 2.23. It says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Jesus not only forgave his enemies, he entrusted himself and the entire outcome to God the Father. And that's the first step when dealing with relational hurts. Let the Lord settle the score. Second step, let the Lord soothe my wounds. And we see that in the second phrase in verse 5. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. Now what does David mean by that? Well, a shepherd put oil on the head of a sheep for two reasons. Number one was to bring comfort, and number two was to bring healing. First of all, he did it to bring comfort. 
One of the worst enemies of sheep is flies. Sheep hate flies. And they got a problem when flies show up because they really don't have a way to fend flies off. I mean, they're standing on all fours. And they can't bring their hoof up and do this like you do. And they don't have a tail like a horse that they can slap around and fend off the flies. And in the summertime, flies are heavy on the sheep. They're landing on the sheep all the time. In fact, I heard about one kind of fly called a nasal fly, and it likes to hang around the sheep's nose. In fact, it lays its eggs in the sheep's nose, and then the larva crawl up into his nasal cavities. And this is so irritating and frustrating to a sheep that they will often be seen banging their head against a rock or a tree stump to try to relieve the irritation from the flies. Have you got any flies in your life? Have you ever noticed that it's the little things that seem to irritate us the most? So you see, what the shepherd would do is he would take a mixture of olive oil and sulfur and he would pour it over the sheep's head. And it would act as a kind of insect repellent. And so this is a picture to us of the shepherd comforting the sheep in the midst of its irritations. And then there's a second reason he would pour oil over the head of the sheep, and that is to bring healing. Oil acted as a salve, a kind of ointment. And when a sheep got an open wound, and I also read this week that oftentimes they got wounds on their head from butting heads with other sheep. That's another sermon. But they would have this gash, and, and the shepherd would put oil on it as a kind of band-aid. It would tend to stop the bleeding, and it would soften the wound, and it would assist the healing. And I think that's a beautiful picture, because it's exa exactly what Jesus does to us when we have hurts in our lives. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. God will not only settle the score, He will soothe your hurts. You see, once you've forgiven someone who has hurt you, that doesn't mean that the pain goes away. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you don't still hurt. And sometimes we don't realize that. Forgiveness is instant, Restoration takes some time. When you get a little scratch, you don't need a Band-Aid. But when you get a deep wound, it needs to be dressed and it needs to be bandaged. Some of you have had some deep wounds, maybe from a divorce, maybe from a, a partner in work who has deceived you. Maybe you've been molested. Maybe you can have deep hurts. And those things take time to heal. You need the Lord to soothe that wound. Just like physically, when you break your arm, you have to wear a cast for six weeks. You can't keep taking it off and saying, am I healed? It's a process. 
Now, how does the Lord heal our hurts? What kind of band-aids does He use when I'm hurting? Well, let me suggest a few. Number one is fellowship. You see, when you get together with other Christians, you find support. If you're saying, I only need God, if your favorite song is, me and Jesus got it all worked out, then you're in for a rude awakening. Romans 12, 15 says, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Our joys are to be shared with others and our pains are to be shared with others. So don't isolate yourself. Don't back away from others when you're hurt. When someone is hurt, often their response is to put themselves in a shell and not to talk to anybody. And then they wonder why they never get healed. Fellowship is one of God's band-aids. And you need to rely on your loving church family when you're hurt. People ask me all the time, why would God let me go through this? Well, I don't know all the answers to that, but I know one answer. It's in 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted by God. God lets you go through that so that He can comfort you so that you in turn can comfort someone else. When you're hurting, would you rather have someone sit down with you and say, I have no idea what you're going through? Or would you rather have someone sit down with you and say, I know how that hurts because I've been through it. You see, there are people in this congregation who know exactly what you're feeling because they've gone through it. But you have to give them the opportunity to minister as a band-aid to you, and you have to do that by letting them know that you're hurting. Another band-aid is prayer. That's when you come and you give it to God. When Lindsay was little, she one time got a splinter in her finger, and she came to me and said, Dad, what is this? And I said, well, you've got a little piece of wood in there. I can take that out. And so we went into the bathroom, and I got the tweezers out, and she said, what are those? I said, this is what I'm going to take it out with. And she said, that's all right. I'll do it myself. So she left, and about 30 minutes later, she came back and said, all right, I want you to take it out. So we went in the bathroom, and I got the tweezers, and, and I had to keep saying, Hold still, because she would hold her finger out and she would do this, right? You know. You ever do that with God? God, here's the boo-boo. You see, we've got to trust God with that thing. Sometimes we come in prayer and we give it to God and then we walk away and we, we do what? We pull it back. And we carry that hurt ourselves. We've got to trust our loving Father to give Him that hurt and trust Him to put the Band-Aid on and heal it. Third Band-Aid is worship. There is healing power in praise. 
when David was hurt in 2 Samuel 12, 20, it says, He came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Have you ever come to church with hurts? And the music starts and a tear runs down your cheek. What's happening there? I've done that. Emotional healing is taking place. Or you listen to the message and something is said, a verse is quoted, and it's just what you needed to comfort you. What is that? That's oil on the sore. And then there's a fourth band-aid, and that's ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is service. Ministry is helping other people who have been hurt too. You see, when you help other people, it helps you. Now, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with a major hurt right now in your life, I want you to be aware of two things. Number one, healing occurs in two phases. Now, we know that physically, but we don't always think about that spiritually or emotionally. There are two phases in healing. There is the be still phase and there is the get up and move phase. You go to the hospital, they lay you in the bed and they keep you lying there and then they come in and say what? We need to get you up. So there is the be still phase and then there is the get moving phase. That's why none of us like physical therapists. They're frustrated drill sergeants who come in and say we're going to We're going to start getting you to move that arm that was injured or that leg that was injured. They make you get into phase two, which is moving. Some of you have had a legitimate hurt, and you've gone through phase one. And now God is saying, get up and move. Now God is saying, get up and serve. And you're saying, I'm not ready. I need to lay here a little longer. But you see, what you don't understand is that it's part of your healing to start serving. You will never fully recover until you get up and start serving. And this is the key. Don't miss this. You have to use the very thing that was hurt. Doesn't, doesn't do me any good to go to Bob Sherrill and say, I want you to work on my leg and my right arm if it was my left arm that was injured. See, I've got to go there and have therapy. I've got to use whatever was injured. You say, well, I've been through a painful divorce. I've lost a loved one. I had a nervous breakdown. I have a life-threatening illness. I've been through a difficult church split. I just want to lie still and hide out and stay away. No. See, God is saying you need to take that very hurt in your life. You need to give it to Him, let Him heal it, and then you need to take that very thing out into ministry and use it to serve other people who are hurting. You see, you don't need physical therapy, but you need some spiritual therapy. And you need to use that very thing that was hurt. 
And then a second thing you need to be aware of if you're dealing with a major hurt is that even after you've been totally healed, you're still going to have a scar. And when you have a scar, you have two choices. Every time you look at the scar, you can either remember the hurt or you can remember the healing. You can look at that scar and you can resurrect the resentment or you can look at the scar and say, thank God I have a healer. He anoints my head with oil. And then there's a third step. And that is, let the Lord satisfy my needs. Last phrase in verse 5, my cup overflows. Now the Middle East is mostly desert. So when someone gives you a cup of wine or water and it's overflowing, that means they're wasting some. And you didn't waste water or wine in the desert unless you had more than you need. And so the symbol of the overflowing cup is total satisfaction. It's saying, I have more than I need. And that's exactly what God is giving to you, more than you need. And so the third step is to look to God to meet my needs. And I think this is very important because of the, one of the major reasons why we get hurt is because we are expecting other people to meet needs in our lives that only God can meet. Whether it's parents or a husband or a wife or an employer or a friend, we're looking to people to meet needs, and that's why we get hurt when we should be looking to God to meet those needs. No person can fill your cup with love and security and happiness. And if you are looking to someone to do that, you are going to be bitterly disappointed. You need to understand you have needs that only God can meet. And if you will look to Him, He, he will fill your cup to overflowing. Now what does our cup overflow with? Well, you know, this, this same word is used in the New Testament. It's usually translated abundance, but same idea. And I just went through a few verses. I mean, in, in Romans 5.20, it says we're overflowing with grace. We're told in Romans 15.13 that we're overflowing with hope. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 3.12 that we're overflowing with love. We're told in John 16.24 that we're overflowing with joy. And it's kind of summed up in Ephesians 3.20 when it says, He does exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think. My cup is overflowing with grace and hope and love and joy and far more than I can even imagine. Haddon Robinson put it best when he said it this way, with God, the calf is always the fatted calf. The robe is always the best robe. The joy is always unspeakable. And the peace always passes understanding. There is no grudging in God's goodness. 
He does not measure his goodness by drops like a druggist filling a prescription. It comes upon us in floods. If only we would recognize the lavish abundance of his gifts, what a difference it would make in our lives. My cup overflows. When you're invited to someone's house, you ever... You ever wonder how long you're supposed to stay? You know, when is the right time for us to go home? When it was time for guests to leave, Tempa's mom used to run her bath water. That's a pretty clear sign. Uh, Kathy Cheek told me she, she took Actifed at night and she would kind of time it. She'd figure, well, I'm going to go to bed in about an hour. So she took her Actifed one time when she had company. They didn't leave and she fell asleep on the couch. That would be a sign. You know, it's, it's probably time to go. You know, they had a custom in the Middle East that kind of took the guesswork out of this. When you came to someone's house and they invited you in, the first thing they did was they gave you a cup of wine or water. And if you drank the cup, then the host would refill your cup. And as long as the host kept refilling your cup, it was a message to you that you're welcome there. When your cup ran dry and the host didn't refill your cup, then the message was, hit the road, Jack. You know, this is a, this is a two-cup house. You're, you're out of here. So, so if your cup ran dry, you knew, end of party. It's time to go home. So what does it mean when God welcomes you into his house and he pours your cup to overflowing? He pours your cup and it just keeps flowing out on the ground. What does that say? God is saying, you're special and I want you to stay with me. Don't ever leave. I will meet more than all your needs. In fact, I will meet your needs far more than you would have met them if you had the opportunity. Because I'm going to meet them to the point where they're actually spilling out and wasting on the ground. The Good Shepherd said in John 10.10, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you're hurting today, Jesus has invited you to a banquet. Why not come to the banquet? Maybe you've been hurting and you've tried ignoring it and postponing it and running from it and disguising it and resenting it and it doesn't work and you're still hurting. What do you need to do? Three things. In fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I'm going to suggest if you're a hurting person this morning that you just make these three prayers your prayers to the Lord. Number one, Lord, I want you to settle the score. I know I can't be healed if I keep retaliating. 
So I'm going to forgive that person and I'm going to entrust it all to you. Secondly, Lord, I want you to soothe my wounds. Use the band-aids of fellowship, prayer, worship, ministry. And Lord, I want you to satisfy my needs. Forgive me for looking to others to meet needs that only you can meet. And fill me with your grace and your hope and your love and your joy and your abundant life. Father, thank you for this time in your word this morning. We thank you that you are the great shepherd. And Lord, I pray as as sheep that we might look up to you and realize that even in the hurts of life, that you want to settle the score and you want to soothe our wounds and you want to satisfy our needs. And Lord, I pray that we would look to you to allow you to do that in such a way that we might be sheep who have recovered and still have, sh- have scars that we can encourage others to look to you because you are our healing God and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.